Honestly, it depends what, where you want, like where you want it to go, because on unlike YouTube and potentially even SoundCloud and places like that, if it hears recorded, you know, if it hears oh, I'm not worried about music, YouTube. I mean, if this is, we're just gonna be doing a podcast, I want to have freedom to be able to play music. I mean, I feel like that would be a, a cool part. I mean, not we're not gonna sit here and listen to an entire record, right? Right, right. But like, if I, there's something like, oh, I want li- listen to this real quick. You know what I mean? Like, that would be a cool part of. I think it would be, that would be a good part to integrate into it. We're just having fun. Like, it's gonna go on the Mellow Maniacs Facebook page, and you know, yeah. whatever happens after that, we can change whatever we want. You know what I mean? Yeah. As far as formats, as far as structure, as far as mediums. Um, for right now, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Sweet. I like it. Yeah, this is... Um, so I think... <laughs> this is this is an incredible experience to be able to come here and just like listen to music. I was telling you earlier that I haven't... I don't think I've made time to really sit down and just listen to music for a really long time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always present. Like, I'm a musician composer sound designer for mostly theater and writing my own music and so when i'm not really doing that like i'm i'm listening in the car and but i'm not actually taking the time to just sit and listen to stuff and actually appreciate it so thank you first of all (laughs) for that like opportunity today thanks for bringing all your cool gear over and uh so like music is so like I love to sit here and listen to music and to experience it like with all my fun little toys here, but music is better shared. Yeah, absolutely. Like I would so much rather sit here and listen to some listen to music with somebody that appreciates music the same way, or doesn't get to appreciate it. And this it's even more exciting for somebody like you to come here, who's a musician, and then to actually hear like the way this stuff sounds down here, like on this level yeah. and for, and because of your, I mean, you love music anyway, like as, as opposed to bringing just a rando friend down here. That's like kind of likes music and is like, whatever. Oh, these are cool. What right. are these blinking? Cool setup. What are these blinking lights? Yeah. Like that's, that's so <laughs> cool. Rather, you know, somebody that like, like Henry Rollins is like, you only have, he was like, I had maybe one or two people in my life where I could actually trust and feel comfortable with sitting and putting a vinyl record on and just fucking sitting there and listening to it. Yeah. And appreciating it. Because not everybody you can do that with. Like, there's... It's a very select company. So, like, I would consider you, like, one of those people. Oh, thank you. Uh, where I could sit and just, like... Earlier when I played, like, we were listening to Miles Davis. 
you were just like <laughs> dumbfounded by how beautiful it sounded. Yeah, yeah. And I was just I was enjoying sitting back watching you enjoy it. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like I was just gonna say that's not I'm not even I'm not even a jazz guy. I very much appreciate it when it's when it's playing. I have a lot of friends who are jazz musicians and I very much appreciate their craft, but it's not really something that I seek out to listen to. And I could have sat in this chair listening to that record on this system the whole way through the whole day right like i could have said it's here very addictive and listen to it um so it's it's a really cool like this is incredible we're just we're sitting around anybody who's already seen you know videos where you're talking about your gear we're sitting in between three different setups just in the basement right and i and there's a system in pretty much every room in this house right even yeah. in the garage in the, yep yep <laughs> Everywhere except the bathrooms i think Everywhere except the bathrooms, which yeah. probably won't be long till there's speaker, you know, f- feed pumped in there. Right. But that's awesome. Like you are a grand appreciator of the craft of of not only I think not only songwriting and performance, but also recording of it. And that's like, I mean, you are kind of what people like me live for. Right. Is like the person who will. There was this comic strip that went around for a while when I was in recording workshop learning how to record and and do live audio and stuff. And there was a comic strip that went around that was a picture of like, it was a guy in the studio surrounded by the gear and there were lines pointed to everything with a price tag on it. And then in the next bar was a picture of an MP3 player and it was mm. like, so you could sell your song for 99 cents. like And then like you could compress it down and sell it for 99 cents. And... Uh, and but this the fact that you appreciate it on a level where there's where you have you know tube amps and you're looking for the richest sound and you have different systems for different sounds and so to hear different albums in different ways like that makes the the job of recording it and like the passion that goes into making the music so much more worthwhile that it's not just like a you know in earbuds right or like you know on a YouTube video, which even we were sitting in the garage listening to audio on a, on a YouTube video, and it even sounded killer on the little bookshelf speakers that were in the garage. Yeah. So I mean, it's amazing nowadays what they can make, uh, what affordable stuff is out there, and how good it sounds. Like we're living in the golden age right now of affordable hi-fi, mid-fi equipment. Yeah, um, yeah. Not just amplifiers and digital analog converters, but speakers. Um, you know, it it just makes it so that anybody could get into this and have a decent setup for you know under five hundred bucks, or maybe even less. I mean, it all depends on where your wallet's at and what you know what you're willing to, what you're willing to spend and what what your goals are as far as um what you're going to be listening to. Right. So like if you're just a, a straight streaming person, Tidal, Spotify, Cubas, Deezer, whatever, you know, your setup is going to be different than somebody that's strictly just going to listen to vinyl. Um, as far as what kind of gear you're going to get, need, what kind of speakers you want, what kind of, you know, all that stuff. Um, and then there's people like me that do both. Um, <laughs> that I like to be able to have the freedom cause I don't have every single out. It would cost me thousands and thousands of dollars to buy every record I wanted and spin it every day. And it's also not space conducive. It's not uh, time conducive. So like streaming. So there's, there's two camps of people of audiophiles. There's guys that are strictly vinyl or nothing. You know what I mean? Like they're just like, they're purists. 
they they're not, they don't even use tone controls. Like you're, they're not even lose. You're not even allowed to use bass or treble <laughs> control because you have to listen to music, and it's the way the artist was intended to record it. Yeah, and you can't you can't change it you from can't, how it was recorded. Yeah, graphic equalizers are like the devil. Um, I don't believe in any of that shit. I believe in using as many tools as you have at your disposal to make what you want to sound the way you want it to sound. Yeah. I mean, I don't care. Like, I mean, sure, I would love to be able to set up a system where I could just put on something and not have to adjust anything. In most cases, if you have the right setup, you have the right equipment and the right medium, like if your vinyl is tight... If your your files are lossless or sh- your streaming shit is on on point, you're really not going to have to do much. Yeah. Uh, if you're tweaking with you know equalizers and shit, there, there's probably a problem with your room acoustics or with your source. Right, Whatever right. your source is, you know, sometimes you get shitty recordings. And having a, an equalizer is actually a pretty good thing because some vinyl is is pretty shit. And some, you know, even old CD, like stuff we were listening to early from the 90s. I mean, I have a little equalizer right here that if I wanted to run it into this amp over here, I could totally make that sound absolutely different. Right. I could bring up the treble, bring up the sub bass, bring up the mid treble, you know what I mean? Just play with it. Especially when you're dealing with headphones. Cause that, and then that's a whole, we didn't even get into talking about headphones. No, we haven't even started talking about headphones which yet. Which is a whole other wormhole that I had no idea about until a few months ago. That you could actually the the ridiculous amount of clarity and stuff that you can hear with a nice set of uh, expensive headphones. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's a lot of it is you know how you how you want it to sound and how you use your ear. You know the 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 people that I learned from would always talk about you know when you're balancing a room like yeah you can you can take out your computer and you can take out the microphones and you can measure the distance and have it play pink noise and then calibrate your mm-hmm. things this way and or you can just use your ears and listen to the room and you know here's here's how you want it to sound so right. i definitely think there's i think there's uh some validity in saying, "Oh, I want to hear this exactly the way it was mixed, like flat response." Right. Let me hear. Let me hear this album how it was mixed. But if you're going to enjoy it, like, right. y- it has to sound the way you want it to sound. Right. You know, especially so. when you're talking about tubes, because what they do is distort sound. Right. Yeah. So you're completely <laughs> bucking that whole idea of solid state clarity and neutral neutrality. Right. For warmth. So like when people hear like why is it like what does that mean like sound is cold or a sound is warm, so like when you hear a clinical sounding like upstairs that's more of a neutral to cold setup right up, up on there. the Mustang you mean. upstairs yeah. <laughs> on on the Emotiva three hundred <laughs> watt per channel like just power amplifier it's gonna have a more of a clinical sound depending on your speakers so like those speakers up there right are the they're base they're kind of clear neutral as well and side note tool sounds amazing on that yeah. clinical set yeah i mean because yeah because anyway a great tester of your speakers is to play something like tool yeah because we're like speed like metal like heavy like death metal like speed <laughs> like that kind of shit like that will put your speakers through the ringer and then you realize where are the weaknesses in your system like, is it the speakers? Is it the amplifier? Because that stuff is so demanding on every yeah, level yeah. of the sound stage. You know what I mean? Not my cup of tea. Like, but, you know, 
Yeah, yeah. Depends on the speed metal for me. But yeah, definitely, like, completely different um, sound listening to the two. Like, I understand why you're, you look around and, like, it, everything's slowly transitioning to tubes also. All right. the preamps and the, and the amplifiers. Yeah, that's a, that's a, he- a tube headphone amplifier. And that's, that that's I've, hardcore. So I literally, so this is, this one here is like a XLR, it's, it's like a mock, it's like a jet fighter. It's only purpose is just, it's completely balanced. So both channels have a discrete balanced setup inside of this. It's a Jashelli mm-hmm. Labs, Irish, mom and pop American company. Like they make it like in their basement, like it's ridiculous. And for the price that you pay for this stuff compared to five years ago, like it's ridiculous. Like under two hundred dollars for something like this, right? Um, that you don't really understand until you actually put a set of headphones with balanced cables on it and listen to it f- from like whatever. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit! Um, like zero noise floor. You know, like when you listen to certain things, like on your phone, and you turn the volume up really loud, and you can hear so when the music gets quiet you can hear like hiss Mm -hmm. and you can hear so like with these things they take that noise floor and completely drop it so that when you're in between quiet parts of music you don't hear anything at all it's just blackness and then but that that translates into more clarity when you're actually listening to the music but you don't pick it up as quickly as, as when you would hear it without sound does that make sense yeah 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 so like I really like this thing, but because my ears have gotten used to hearing distortion and enjoying it, which they've found is actually clinically, scientifically uh, reduces stress and anxiety to tube music, you know, stuff that comes out of tubes. Like they did like a scientific study of like solid state versus tube, and they found that music that came out of tubes actually reduces stress and anxiety. I'll see. How do I get to be part of that clinical right? study? Like, That's did, awesome. Like, who put that together? But yeah, so like, this thing was like, I think I bought it used on eBay for like fifty bucks, mm-hmm. which is absolutely insane. I mean, yeah, they yeah. they Loxji is a Chinese company. They sell it for like, when they first came out, they sold them for like eighty bucks, ninety bucks. And if you upgrade the power supply and you upgrade the tubes on that which costs you probably another 50 bucks it basically sounds like a $500 headphone amp like you you could put your headphones on it and trick somebody into thinking they're listening to some really high end shit and because of the way I have it set up here like I like it better than this which is like a way better amplifier but for whatever reason for my ears I find that more pleasing and that only comes through just constant listening and going back and forth and switching from like RCA inputs to yeah, yeah. XLR inputs and like different streaming. I've tried Spotify, I've tried Tidal, I go back and forth. This is the, the horror that is my life sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping around finding what the best combination. Yeah. I'm like, what is of what if I do and this? And then and then then you switch headphones. So like these are like Sennheiser's ultimate like neutral, like just fucking Oh, everything sounds good in these, and you're gonna hear it the way it was meant to be heard right. without any coloring. Whereas, like, I have planar, planar magnetic headphones, which operate on a whole different level of like amplifying sound. Oh, shit, I've never even heard of these. They're hi-fi mans. And then you have just like your good old standby it's a on the nose, isn't it? What's that? Hi-fi man. Hi-fi man. <laughs> 
And then you have your good old, I mean, these are Grados. These are made in fucking Brooklyn, New York. They feel like they're like a Walmart special. Right. But for whatever reason, they have like this airy, like top end, like just natural sound to them that you're like, how does that come out of these? And I never knew any of this shit before until I started watching Z reviews on YouTube. Right. You start taking that dive. Yeah. And then you wind up with but there's, three audio setups but there's, in your basement. The alone. way everything's set up now is that you can buy all this stuff used or like on mass drop equipment that would have cost you so much like yeah. five, ten years ago that you can get now for affordable. And. Yeah, so the the I think you you talked for a little while before about sort of what the what your first what was your first setup that really got you into the audiophile where you started digging deeper. Like what was the first, you know, beyond just like a like a rack stereo system or getting a good pair of speakers? Like when was the first time that you sought out a digital audio converter mm-hmm. or like a two, you know, an amp or something specifically. Oh, that was easy. That was uh Christmas last year when Krista bought me, my wife bought me a, um, a little hundred dollar turntable from target, like a heyday turntable, which right. actually is not a bad turntable when it comes <laughs> to entry level turntables. It actually had a adjustable counterweight and track anti-tracking anti-skating, um, yeah. which you don't get on some of the entry level audio technica tables. Um, huh. but, she bought me that and a couple records and was like, you know, Merry Christmas. And that's basically, and I, and I bought a set of powered speakers. So it was just a minimalist setup. So it was just a vinyl turntable. And uh, you just plug your RCAs into that. And it already had a built-in phono preamp, uh, which was shit. But I didn't learn that until I was like, how do I make this sound better? Right. But it, it was still built into this $100 table yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. awesome. Right. So, so at least it boosts the sound exactly. to the same like dynamic volume level right. as, as CDs. It's not or, a great, it's not, right. I don't, I am not a proponent at all. When I, whenever I recommend turntables to people, I'm like, get one without one of those phono preamps built in because yeah. it, it interferes yeah. with the sound chain and it causes, inter- like it's, it wrecks it. I've, and there's guys that buy tables and rip them out. And because of that reason, because right. it messes okay. with the sound, um, it's you're just gonna get a better sound out of an external phono preamp than you are something anything that they build in. Just like right. buying, it's the same old adage of like buying components. So like if you buy a preamp and an amplifier and an equalizer and a tuner separately, or you can just buy a receiver that's an all-in-one. Chances are really good that your components are gonna sound better because right. each one of them is a specialist, and then the sum is greater than, you know what I mean? Yeah, the jack of all trades is never going to be as good at all of those things exactly. as exactly. the individual pieces. Yeah. There's a reason why, like, you know, audiophile nuts, they're all about it's components, man. It's got to get components, like, separate. Right. I mean, it's got to be separate. But, no, she bought me that, and then I got a set of Edifier 1700 BTs, um, which I actually just gave, I sold to my mother-in-law for her desktop setup, and I recommend them to everybody because they're fantastic. For 150 bucks, those were the powered speakers. Powered speakers that were part of the minimalist. Yeah, thing. powered speakers for anything. I mean, you could do so much with them, and they sound like something that's probably 300 hours more than what I paid for them. Right, and they're, it's the whole Chinese, you know, chi-fi market that people shit on. But it's, I was like, what is like this is incredible. The sound that I was getting 
And like, and I was upstairs in that huge living room, and I was still impressed. Hmm. And then you could plug your phone into it, you know, in the RCA in the back, and use them that way. Your computer. Um, but then, of course, I fell down the rabbit hole of getting phono amplifiers. So I bought an Arc DJ2, which is like everybody's first phono preamp. It's like 65 bucks. You can get them on Amazon right now. Um, the music stopped playing. No, no, that's fine. I was I was listening to something, either click or drip. Um, so yeah, I mean, then I started getting into phono preamps on how to make the vinyl sound better. And then that just s- snowballed into getting another record player. And then I started buying vintage stuff online i started buying pioneers i bought a pioneer 424 which is like 1972 right so you dove, still up in my bedroom you dove back backwards after you started getting the the hi-fi stuff to sort of build up what you were listening to you right. went back in time right to do vintage stuff right. for the records that you were listening to to hear it all like that yeah plus i like the look of them yeah they're beautiful yeah, yeah and they're like an endangered species i think we should because nobody can fix them anymore i know i miss my dad you know my dad was a big music appreciator and he used to when he was a bartender he used to dj at the at the bar there on the weekends and so he had this huge record collection already and i will always remember in our living room that we had this you know old school i don't even remember what the brand was now with the the big flip switches that felt like you were tripping a breaker yeah. just to get it to yeah. <laughs> to turn I on or turn knobs off and or switch to it yeah and it had the vu meters on it yes. that would glow oh, oh yeah v- it was VU good meters i miss that i miss that a lot he actually he actually still has the speakers that were that he had built he built a bookshelf into that wall with all the records and everything and built a place for the speakers to go up in the up in the um bookshelf and he still has those speakers upstairs in his like right. den right so it was pretty is the that gear lasts for a reason um oh yeah they don't make anything like that anymore it's like i mean you're literally buying this huge aluminum steel chassis mm-hmm. beast with real wood and like real tactile knobs and right. volume meter like it's like something out of like you know a science experiment and when you're like a kid you <laughs> see that stuff and it's like all these bells and whistles and lights and it's like there's a reason why they made them like that because they're so aesthetically pleasing but yeah the the great side effect is that nothing sounds like them the way that the japanese put together those capacitors and the potentiometers and the circuit boards it's a work of art when you open those things up and you're like how did somebody figure out how to do this <laughs> right i mean you look at like the, the the circuitry in those things and like how they're so like i had one down here that's 40 years old and like hasn't hasn't been touched hasn't been like refurbished at all and i was still picking up stations with its fm tuner in my basement in philadelphia <laughs> like that's engineering you know yeah. what i mean like the fm tuner that whole idea of picking up radio stations and making them come in clear as a bell, like inside your basement from fifty miles away, like it's astonishing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of the newer tube stuff is definitely just putting modern engineering into the the it's technology and the vintage yeah. way of making sound. Yeah, I mean, just tubes like... was what were in everything before your television sets, all of your radios, all that stuff back in the. 20 you know in the 30s the 40s the 50s the 60s 
that's where all these tubes come from. Like all these tubes that I source, like these old ones, they're uh-huh. all literally from the 40s and 50s that you just buy on eBay that they've had thousands of them stockpiled away. Sure, yeah. And, and now, now they're reason. skyrocketing in price because they're disappearing because uh-huh. the sound that they make is like undescribable. And do you still have do you still have a setup somewhere in the house with the vintage gear? Or did you kind of move away from it and I have I've sold a lot of it or I've given away a lot of it because uh I like just giving this gift to people. So like my family yeah, so yeah. like I fixed up an old beautiful old Sony one from the seventies and like Sony gets a bad name now because they're so cheaply built. Sure. But back in the day, like John Lennon owned a Sony. Like his his receive his famous I think it was a sixty one twenty that he had a receiver. Um, they were so well built. Like and they had the classic green uh lights on them. Like Sony, that was their oh, color. Yeah, their color yeah. was green. Pioneer, it was like an orange, and like you know, and, and before that they had blue. So like every brand had to like establish themselves, but like Sony had the market on the green LED or not LEDs, the, the green lighting, hmm. and it was so well built. So like when I took it apart, so this guy sold it to me on Facebook Marketplace for like peanuts, and he said that he couldn't get a certain thing to work, and all I had to do was pop it open and fix the. I just had to like tinker around and like open it up spray it out with com- computer cleaner spray it with deoxid contact cleaner on right. all the all the pots all the contacts so it was nice and clear and then the only thing was he had the the speaker the balance dial was poorly placed it was a poor engineering move on their part so like it was put all the way to the one side so you only he was only hearing out of the left channel yeah he thought that the chat the, the the right channel was out but all you do is slide the thing over to the middle <laughs> and then you could hear both of them. So like that kind of stuff happens all the time. People don't take the time to right. look at what they have. They find it in a goodwill or they find it in a state sale and they're going to sell it on eBay and try to flip it. But this guy really, I mean, he sold it to me for like 50 bucks. I met, I went and met him and dropped it off and I took it home here. And when I hooked it up, it was like magic. Ugh. Like after I cleaned everything out and I hooked it up to a cheap set of speakers. That's a nice find. And a cheap little turntable. And I ended up giving it to my sister for her birthday. Um, and she absolutely adores it. She put it in her bedroom. And so now she has a vinyl set up. I, t- I gave her the record player that my wife gave me for Christmas because I had already <laughs> upgraded like three times since then. <laughs> nice. So I gave her that turntable and I gave her the Sony. <laughs> And I gave her a set of beater, like $50 parts express speakers that were phenomenal. And I gave them to her. I ended up buying those same speakers again because I like them so much. They're actually up in my bedroom. I do have a vintage uh, Pioneer 424 up in my bedroom with the blue lights. Okay. And I had it the LEDs put into it and I had it refurbished um, because it just sounded like those. The early 70s Pioneers were built like brick shit houses and... It still sounds. It sounds like a tube amp. Do you, it has such warm sound to it that it literally sound like I could. It sounds just like this, almost as good as this. And do you listen to? Do you listen to it much, or do you use it much like before bed? Not as like much as I would morning. like to, because uh, a lot of times when we go to bed, it's like we watch TV before we fall asleep. Right, but it's already late. A lot of times, if I'm up in my room and I'm like folding laundry, or if I'm up, you know. You know, cleaning my room, or I'm in the bathroom shaving. That's when I'll use it the most. Is when I'll I'll turn it because it has a Bluetooth receiver hooked up to it, and I just bounce it off my phone, and it just sounds absolutely phenomenal. And it and it still picks up 
radio station so I can listen to 88.5 up in my room <laughs> on this old, you know, receiver. And it's and it just it's beautiful. It looks really nice on, like, my stand. Yeah. You can't uh, – they just don't make stuff like that anymore as far as aesthetics and sound and build quality. So I'll probably never get rid of that one as much as I'll be tempted to. Like, it's, it's, it's literally – it's a 12-watt receiver, solid state. And, but it will – like, it gets fucking loud. Like, it's 12 vintage watts. So, like, back in the day, their watts were, like, double of, like, when people, you know, Class D, uh, you know, op-amp, electronic chips, stuff that they make now. It's, like, back then, like, they used real transformers. And, right. You know, so the wattage went a lot further. And they, and they undervalued their wattage. So, like, it's kind of like... Uh, BMW always undervalues what the actual horsepower of their cars are. They're actually a lot more. Pioneer was very famous for underwatting, you know, when they put out their specs. So, like, they would say it's 60 watts. It's probably more like 80 or 90 watts. You know what I mean? Correct me if I'm wrong, but most of this, like, most of the the gear that you've got, I think, has stemmed from an appreciation of, you know, or, or has stemmed from the enjoyment of music appreciation and just listening to music in general. And yeah. like you said, sharing it with people. Right. So what was like, I'm, I'm curious a lot of, what was the first um, instance that you remember sort of uh, turning on to music or when like, you know, when, when you started to find your own music to listen to, you know, where you're not like listening to whatever mom and dad plays or whatever your siblings are playing or whatever. Do you mm. remember like what your launch into music appreciation beyond just, oh yeah, there's music on? It's hard for me to pinpoint like an exact time because it was such a huge part of my childhood mm-hmm. growing up. Like, both of my parents... Like, my mom is a complete music nut like I am. Nice. Um, like, I got everything from her. Like, all my tastes, anything I was exposed to, like, you know, anything from the 70s or 60s or even the 80s what that I was exposed to was, was a result of my mom and dad's music collection. Um, we always had a, a big... You know, they had an old Sony. For Towards the end of Sony, before they got really bad, like they had an early 80s component system of Sony, like a really nice stereo uh-huh. system with the huge, like four foot high, like gigantic speakers, like that were like <laughs> you could put a body inside of them, like that's how big they were. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, this is a serious system, like 80 watts a channel. Um, and they had the turntable, they had, they had records. Um, my dad played the guitar, uh, he played the acoustic guitar. And so I just, from the earliest time, I remember listening to America and like the band America, uh-huh, like Horse, yeah. Horse of No Name and, and uh, Venture Highway. And he used to play all that stuff on the guitar. And uh, so I just, it's hard for me to pinpoint when I diverted and found my own stuff because sure. it was so intermeshed with what they listened to. Right. But and I, that's still a big part of Still, what you me like. and my mother are still on the same, like we were on, we're both on present <laughs> listening facebook page which is did i invite you to that one i don't think so i have to invite you to it so it's basically it's it's present listening and it's fantastic so it's like all audio music nerds like just putting whatever they're listening to at that moment taking a picture of it whether it's cd whether it's vinyl whether it's fucking streaming and they just snapshot it and then they put what the album is what the song is and what it means to them at that moment 
and like and everybody just shares it and then people chime in in the comments and it's just like a free for all of just like music conversation. Oh, that's awesome. On Facebook and it's like it's a very cool community where everybody's just, you know, it's supportive. There's no like I don't I haven't seen too many I mean there's assholes everywhere, but there are, there are but assholes it's, everywhere. Yeah. But it's um it's a nice little community of people and I I invited a lot of people to I can't believe, I thought I invited you to it. Um, anybody that's that I'm friends with that's into music, I thought I sent an invite to, so I apologize if I didn't. No, you you might have, but that definitely sounds like something that I I would. Yeah, you would jump totally dig it. Over. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, you'll it's have awesome. to find so it. So I like I invited my mom to it, of course, and me and her go back and forth posting our vinyl picks of the day or whatever on there, and uh, you know it's a fun way because I always wanted to be like a rock journalist, so it's a fun way to. I'll write whatever. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I was, so cool. I was a communications major in like my first run around at college <laughs> because I wanted to be, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted I mean, I wrote all the time, poetry, short stories. Um, I had no idea. I wrote idea. for the school paper. You know, I <laughs> used to do all that stuff. That was like my thing. And I still enjoy writing and reading, but, uh, music kind of takes center stage more so, but, um, I still love to sit down and write a couple good paragraphs about a song or a record and how it affected me or how it affects me. And then to hear other people's feedback because hearing other people's experiences is the best part because you don't know that you thought that this was your record. You know what I mean? Like this was your yeah. insular experience that you had with this at this certain point in your life and you felt like you were the only one. And then you put it out there with your thing and like it totally touches somebody in the same exact way and then they reflect how it affected them and then it's a shared experience and like and it's special so that that's what i love about that that present listening page that's is awesome. that you're able to connect with other people who have the same way of connecting music to certain periods of their life and then be able to reflect back with a you know hindsight and like you know where they are now which is really the cool part of it is like when you hear something you know, like you listen. Sometimes you're like, "What was I thinking?" Like when I was listening to that. I don't have a lot of those experiences because I because I I have the gift of good taste. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but uh, there's some. You know, everybody's got the skeleton in their closet where you're like, "What the fuck was I listening I, to?" I, listening I, to that. Yeah. And then you like you listen to it now, and you either have an appreciation for it further, or you have more of like, you know, oh, I wish I, I didn't know about that. <laughs> Um, I wish I had never listened to that. Yeah, I, I wish that yeah, nobody knew I, about that. I have a couple of those deep, yeah. deep down in there sure. somewhere. But it's like, I don't think I really got into my own... Like they say, the old adage is like, it's not it's not rock and roll unless your parents hate it. And so it was like hard for me because I liked my parents' music. Right. <laughs> and I really liked because they they were alive in the best time, I think, of music, period. Like the, the 60s, like the 70s. I mean, it's hard to beat. It's very hard to beat. Yeah. In terms of quality, recording, like lyrics, and the time that it was done, and the earnest, you know, how earnest they were when they wrote all that stuff, and uh, and drugs. Drugs are a big part of it. Yeah. So I mean, it's really tough to beat the '70s, but I don't want to be one of those people that's like, that was the only time. You know what I mean? Because I listen to, ev- you know me, I listen to everything, everything. and I have an appreciation yeah. of every decade, every genre except country. And you know what I mean? Like everybody has their limits. Right. But I think I didn't start getting into, into my own thing until I heard hip hop until, because 
that pissed off my parents. <laughs> it was that finally was, something that, that was when the, like the divide, like the line in the sand was drawn where oh, my yeah. parents were like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, what are you listening to right now? Like, this is so awful. And I was listening to like gangster rap. Like when we grew up, it was the early nineties. So like gangster rap was where it was at, dude. Whew, and like, yeah. And what a way to like get exposed to it. Like, I mean, you're just getting smashed over there. Like it wasn't like fun, you know, dance, like disco, early, mid-80s rap. It was right. like bitches and hoes and fucking, like, dude, it was just, and dudes selling drugs. Like, yep. it was like every parent's worst nightmare. <laughs> it would be like what parents were listening to when they heard Black Sabbath back in, like, the 60s. They were like, oh, my God, this is devil music. So, like, that resonated. I was like, I kind of like this shit because it really pisses off my parents. And some of the, you know... My mom had an appreciation for Nirvana, but she also had a healthy fear of it as well because that was my other. So, like, of course, you know, when Nevermind exploded and destroyed hair metal yeah. and everything that was going on in rock music up to that point and just converted. Like, I was, I guess, so grunge grunge and, and gangster rap was where my my earliest remembering of my own music other than my parents so sure. like the early 90s so just like anybody else right when i was coming into puberty 12 13 years old you really start listening you're not just hearing melodies and like mm-hmm. oh this sounds nice it's you're hearing what they're saying and it's starting to resonate with you as a young adult and especially if it's rebellious because that's where you're at yeah so grunge appealed to me because it was like we don't give a fuck about anything we don't want to sound good to anybody we don't care right. like we're just <laughs> In our fucking flannels and beat up shorts, and yes. we're just playing music because we love the music. Yes, I've worn these corduroys for two weeks straight, right? And I don't give. A I fuck. haven't washed my hair in a week, <laughs> and they were all strung out on heroin. So like that terrified my mom mm-hmm. um, because she was aware. Because she was not away from it. She liked. She loved Eddie Vedder's voice. Like mm-hmm. she was the first. She remember, I remember her pulling me aside one time in the kitchen and was like, "Listen to this guy." And it was Eddie Vedder playing uh, one of the songs. It was probably Black off of um, their yeah, first album, 10, off of yeah. 10. And my mom was like, I haven't heard anybody like that since like Jim Morrison. And it was like, that's a bold statement. Right. For, <laughs> but, a, for a music appreciator. Yeah. But she, it was hard for her to get into some of the heavier stuff. Like, cause I got it. And I wasn't, I didn't too, get too crazy. I wasn't into, like Speed or Death Metal or right. Metallica even. I was never a big Metallica fan, still not, but. Some of that grunge stuff. I think it was the romantic, the romanticizing of drug use yeah. was what scared her and was what drew me to it. So I think we have, I think we have very, very similar occurrences and and stories that way. My, you know, my music umbrella, like the umbrella that I record and produce music under, is "Mom Fears My Music." Right, and it was right. It was never a, a direct uh, directed at my the music that I was writing at the time. It was Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson and oh, Nirvana yeah. and like the stuff that genuinely scared her. Because I had a very similar situation where Nine my... Inch Nails scared me the first time <laughs> yeah, I heard it. Yeah, yeah, like the first time I heard Downward Spiral, I was literally like, "This is some really." dark this shit dark, yeah. that I've never been exposed to and my mom would co- I remember her face coming in the first time she heard me listen to like pigs or something and uh-huh. she was like what in the hell are you listening yeah, to she, yeah she took Terrifying. my CDs once she yeah. took my, my CD sleeve away from me um, yeah cause my like it started out the same way with me my my dad was um, you know 
loves the Beatles. He would play uh, Donovan and the Kinks for me, and those are those are artists that I absolutely love. Sure, and I would I would rock out to it, and I could really appreciate what they were writing. And I think that super pleasing to the ear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. super catchy. And I was a I was a I remember being a huge fan of Boys to Men. So right. I loved like sure. when Motown Philly came out, yeah. and I loved R and B to sing. So yeah. like I was I was all into that. And my sister and brother are both older than me, so they were listening. My brother was listening to Metallica and Megadeth, and I would listen to that a little bit. My sister was listening to MC Hammer and you right. know Salt and Pepper and stuff. And Vanilla so, Ice, right? And yeah. I would and I would listen to that, and I was into it. Um, but it was it was same same with you. It was Nevermind. And it was Black Sunday from Cypress Hill. Yeah, was the first oh, that album the first record that I ever listened to that I was just like, where like where has this been? Right, like all the all the MC Hammer and even like Sir Mix a Lot, like all that kind of stuff. I was just I was done with the first time I heard Black Sunday. Black Sunday also coincided with my burgeoning pot. Uh, <laughs> it was yeah, it was so, like a beautiful. So marriage. I got into pot right around, and like that album was like made for smoking pot. Yeah, like all of their shit really is, except for yeah. maybe their first album is <clears throat> a legit badass like rap album. But yeah. I think they really they started to fall into that, which was unfortunate that they fell into like that whole stigma. Yeah, of like they're just a pot group. You know what I mean? Because oh that yeah, became their first s- album is a straight gangster rap album. Yeah, too. I mean. How I Could Just Kill a Man and, and Real Estate, like that album. Like, I went backwards. Like, after I heard Black Sunday, I was like, what else do they have? Yeah. And I actually enjoyed their first album way more as the years went by. Yeah. Like, I would pick that over Black Sunday now, only because my tastes have changed. Yeah. No, I still love I still love all the songs on that album. And then Skull and Bones was really good. Skull and Bones was cool, too. That was yeah. the one that had, like, the, had the half rap and rock and half rock. I didn't oh. like the rock part, but the rap portion yeah. of that album yeah. was really, really good. Yeah, that was yeah, I think I remember and I remember three. Three came out. Three was was not as great. Temples of But Boom. it had uh yeah, yeah. Or maybe it was maybe I'm thinking of the self titled one that came out right before Skull and Bones. Because I remember it was all green, it had Audio X on it mm-hmm. and uh Checkmate and some of those songs. But yeah, Cypress Hill was the first like my parents were really scared of that. Sure. Um, but I also didn't want to listen to it a lot because it was also when I started smoking pot. So I was yeah. like, I don't want them to know. <laughs> they're going to listen to hits from the bong and they're going to be like, yeah. what are you talking about? For me, it was Naughty by Nature's 1993. Okay. That was the album that my parents were like, holy, what is this? Because it's so, <laughs> What has happened to our son? It is so like misogynistic and yeah. like, I mean, like it's, it's hardcore rap and like, but I still absolutely adore that album. I think Tretch is like one of the greatest MCs of all time. See, now I know it in passing, but now I'm gonna have to go back and actually listen to it. Oh, like dude. present presently listen. Nineteen ninety three. Like I remember literally playing basketball in my backyard for hours and hours and hours. That tape, I wore it out. I had it in my little Sony boombox, and I had it out back. And I just remember just shooting hoops for hours listening to that album. So good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then and then I would consider I would consider Nirvana easily my favorite group. Um, I, we talked about Bark Market and him like my my love of that like '90s noise car band, but mm-hmm. nothing nothing really changed me. Like Nirvana's the reason I started playing guitar and I started writing my own songs and you mm-hmm. know all that stuff. So it's 
it's still I will always have a great appreciation for everything that they did. I would go and I would find imports. I would seek out imports and like live yeah, I, albums, whatever I could find. I think that was everybody that was our because we're the same age, and yeah. so like everybody at that time, at that exact time, was we were right around like coming into like I was like what were we like twelve. Yeah. So like that's when you really start hearing music and what a time to be exposed to a, an explosion of yeah. sound and change that was Nirvana. Like they were bigger than Jesus at that time. Like yep. he was so big and Nevermind was so game changing. Like nothing now could compare to like yeah. what happened with music when the, when that album hit. When Smells Like Teen Spirit came out, that video was like earth shattering yep. at the time. Like, nowadays, like, that would never happen. Yeah, there's so much, there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of focus on, on singles now, you know, just putting, oh, yeah. just getting a single out and trying to get streaming yeah. anything after that. Yeah, streaming yeah. hits, like, let me make yeah. let me make some money and, and you know, hope, hope I'm sure they hope, you know, that there will be another hit and another hit and another hit, but that's why I still seek out, not again, like I said before, not as much as I used to, because I haven't made the time to listen to new stuff or or really sit down and listen to anything mm-hmm. um when i'm not working on my own music or or a different recording project um but when i when i find when you find bands that still make albums exactly it's an experience from yeah. beginning to end yeah my one of my favorite ani defranco lyrics mm. is people used to make records as in the record of an event the event of people playing music in a room and that encapsulates what song is that from um, it's from Little Plastic Castle. Yes, but I, now I can't think of what the name from that of the album. But yeah, yeah, I know exactly. But what it's like the about. first or second track on that album yeah. too. Oh yeah. Um, I love oh, it. I, we have a, we have a mutual love affair of of Ani DeFranco. Oh, she's so good. I I try to explain to people that have never heard Ani DeFranco what it's like, and it's like I can't even put it into words. Yeah, I'm like just think of like think of like. Bob Dylan, like on steroids, like in female form. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like yeah. And I purposefully, whenever I talk about Ani, uh, and there's somebody that hasn't listened to it, I, I get excited. I, I get do. so excited. I do because I and I try and leave out, like I try and leave out the fact that she was fucking homeless for like a year, you know, right. while she was making this music and right. recording stuff, and like, because I, I don't want that to be like they're like, oh, this is the homeless girl, and just like. I never listened to somebody who was a like a, a modern poet the way she is, oh, and total and, package and puts it in motion. With total music. package. Yeah. Not only that, like not only the, the smartest, funniest, saddest oh, lyrics I've ever heard, but <laughs> her guitar work is like she makes up her own chords. Like, yeah. and and I'm things, not even a musician, and I'm things. like, and I'm oh. able to, I'm like hear stuff, and I'm like, how does that work? Like, how do you make that sound? And it's like, and when you watch her play, like, remember me and you? Was it me and you that went to see her live? Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say the Keswick. Keswick. Oh my god, that was so awesome, wasn't it? And we we were. I tell people about that all the time. Like, me and my buddy went to see Ida Frank. We were the only straight guys there. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) We were in the Keswick, and the stage was bare. Yeah. And they would every once in a while they would roll out the rack of like twelve guitars. Yeah. She would take the next one for the. She's so funny. She's like sorry tunings. Yeah. Whatever, and it's like. And strings breaking. Oh my god! Like I was, we weren't even close. And watching no, her play was still matter. an incredible experience because she truly makes it a percussive 
polyphonic instrument. She turns oh, yeah. the guitar into this, you know. She beats the shit out of those guitars. Beats them to death. And destroys her fingers. And it's so good. Somebody, we were, uh, I was at a concert um, the other night that my, 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 uh, the art center where I work was throwing. And um, the guy brings up, he's like, this is a song by Utah Phillips. And I was like, woo! <laughs> The only person under <laughs> seventy who knew who Utah Phillips was, but it was because of Ani DeFranco, right? Because she did that whole record with him. Oh, okay. She did a whole record with him. See, I didn't even know that. Him, it was oh, it was so wild. It's so political, and it's so like yeah. She can get soapboxy. Yes, yeah, definitely. But she has a good message. Yeah, and it, but it's but it's it's really crazy to hear her sound and his old grizzled, you know. He sounds like he's mining panning for gold somewhere. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, it's, now I have to remember what it's called. I mean, it's no, we're not going to listen to Ani Franco. No, <laughs> <laughs> on this system, <laughs> not on this system. Mm. No, we're definitely going to have to listen to Ani on this system. Man. I don't yeah. think I've listened to any Ani on. This. I don't. I don't even know if I have any vinyl of hers actually, which is I'm embarrassed to say that. Yeah, I think I still think that it dilate. From beginning to end is probably my favorite album of hers because it's it's incredible. But it's so hard as, for me to pick as far as listening, living in clip like that's what I would oh, buy first clip, on yeah. vinyl. That's the live I love, one, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I love all those versions of that song. Yeah, like, she's so much better recorded. live. I mean, like her studio yeah. stuff is good, but her yeah. her improvisation, like just the way, and she could still trans translate it to live where mm-hmm. it sounds better, which is the mark of a true artist, yes. I think. And, like, my favorite, my personal, like, I love Little Plastic Castle's super glossy, like, yeah. very... I think that's the best produced Overproduced, one. very yeah. well-produced album. Sounds fantastic. Like, if you're going to expose somebody to Ani DeFranco, that's probably the album you're yeah. going to expose them to because it's the catchiest. Um, Dilate, Living in Clip, her first album. Um, not a Pretty... Or not Not a Pretty Girl. Um, yeah, I think it's Not a Pretty Girl, right? It is. Yeah. Her first album's phenomenal. Yeah, um, up, they're up, they're up, all up, good. This <laughs> is like, how do you pick your favorite like Ferrari? You know what I mean? But it's like <laughs> with her, my the one that really got me, and maybe because it was the time in my life was uh, to the teeth. Oh, that God, yeah. album, another recording masterpiece, um, because she added like funk jazz fusion to yeah. it. She had Maceo Parker like on every song playing the saxophone, no. and it was just a funky, like totally different, but still Ani DeFranco album that I absolutely treasure. Like when I when I oh, when I man. sit down with people, I'm like, so you've never heard Ani? Here are your two records to buy. Get right, Little Plastic Castles, and get to the teeth. To the teeth has Freak Show on it, right? Yes. Oh, oh. man, that whole album. <laughs> that whole album. So like the sound on that album is really hard to replicate. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. God, I don't even know how I would, like... That came out when I was, like, 19 or Oh, and Swing? Swing oh. is the one you're talking about. That's... Yeah, we're going to listen to that. <laughs> swing. I mean, just that whole album had such a different vibe, but in a good way. Yeah. Compared to her other stuff. But uh, I think it was because where I was in my life at that point, I was a complete disaster. <laughs> right. I was 19 or 20, and I just bailed out of college... And uh, I heard one of her songs. It was the first actual album that I actually bought of hers. I bought the CD. I had heard some of her stuff before. 
but it was the first time where I could sit down and I listened to a whole record of hers and all the way through, and I was like, I just couldn't stop listening to it. And so, of course, I, I dove into all of her shit. I'm going to have to do some mixing magic to bring your voice up there, but it's worth it. <laughs> well, hopefully your microphone will pick up some of it. Yeah. But what happens is with, with this thing, it's... Uh... It goes to sleep. Yeah, we are armed to the teeth. Yeah, to the teeth is like. They're just still playing uh, brothers. Wrong drugs. (laughs) Ugh, I'm so angry that. I have never listened to that band. We're on drugs. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to get get in gear. <laughs> get your ass in gear and figure that one out because uh, we're on drugs is fantastic. This whole well, album, literally, you just play it from start to finish. And it, it was when you were like, "Oh yeah, it came out like you know, 2011." 2011. I was like, oh. They had one more before that in like 2009 that was really good too. <clears throat> But yeah, I need a Franco. I mean, we could literally have an entire podcast devoted to and deep dive, deep dive Ani DeFranco music. And the fact that we like Ani DeFranco is totally against type. (laughs) Like, if you met me on the street, you'd be like, "That guy's not an Ani DeFranco fan." (laughs) There's you you could do um, uh, true and false, and you could list four things about you, and everybody would pick. Ani DeFranco fan as the false one every time. Every time. There are three true statements and one false one They're about like, this no gentleman way, before you. No way that that like, muscle-bound, muscle jock-looking, like, waspy, asshole-looking dude likes a fucking lesbian folk singer. And then you hear her music, and you're like, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is my favorite song on the album. Yeah. Eas- easily. Back, back, back. This is the song I play for everybody when they say they've never heard Ani Frank. Like, oh, really? Try yeah. this song. And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, and what's cool is that, like, the guitar is pretty tame in this compared to what she usually plays. Oh, yeah. But she's doing it with her voice. Yeah. She's doing the percussive offbeat rhythm with her voice instead of with her palm. Yeah, we haven't even really touched on the fact that her voice is like pitch, yeah. pitch perfect. Yeah. Like every note has got like all of her blood, sweat, and tears in it. Who are these She can do anything with her voice, too. It's like an acrobat. Absolutely. Just the brass, the brass section. It was like she took, she stole Steely Dan's, like, studio musicians and made this album. 
It literally could pass for a studio, like a Steely Dan album from the 70s, like mm-hmm. the background music. The funky guitar, like everything's just funky. Like if I wrote a song this good, like I would never have to do anything ever again. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why? I'm done. Yeah. It's a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> I did it. I succeeded. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's also, uh, like, we can't get too into it without blowing out our microphones, but, like, I would listen to that song at full fucking tilt. Yeah. Like, yeah, I yeah. used to listen to it. So, you know, I had a an, an 86 Volvo, and uh, my girlfriend bought me. It had a piece of shit stereo system in it. And uh, the speakers weren't bad, but the head unit was completely shot. And she bought me a new head unit one year for my birthday that had the CD player with the detachable face yeah. that everybody had to have. <laughs> and uh, and I remember just driving around bumping this song and ha- amazed at how good this sounded like because sound always music always sounds the best in your car yes um, yeah, yeah. just because of acoustics especially if you have decent and then of course i fell down the rabbit hole once i got a a car that had a decent stereo system in it i had to have one in every one of my cars right. after that <laughs> like with you know the fucking sub in the trunk mm-hmm. and like the upgraded speakers in every door and the nice head unit you know what I mean it was that's like, always the last place I listen to a mix too when I'm like mixing a song yeah I, I mix it in headphones again just because I'm poor independent you know designer so I don't have great speakers to really listen to it in a studio oh. setting so I mix in the headphones and then I'll listen to it on the stereo on the computer on my phone with earbuds with cans right and then the car is usually the last place i'll listen to right and if it if it makes it through all that it's gonna fucking jam in the car yeah Yeah. (laughs) which is always great yeah the car is the great equalizer oh damn i want to wind up going back and listening to all these records too yeah this this album I just listened to it nonstop, and then I, when I went back to it years later, I realized how genius it was for not just the catchy songs, but the the uncatchy ones mm-hmm. too. Because there's definitely there's a couple snoozers, but not, <laughs> not too many. I mean, like I don't know. I'm such a fan that it's hard for me to say any of her songs are bad. But yeah, yeah. But the the sound of like that guitar is just. She's usually probably my one of my top five guitarists, male or female. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ever. Bar none. They showed her like so she did a tiny desk on NPR recently, like last year or two years ago. Every time I talk to you, there's another artist, Tiny Desk, that I have to look Dude, up. Dude, Tiny on Desk YouTube. just I could sit <laughs> and watch Tiny Desk videos all day long and never get bored. Um, but she did one a couple years ago, and they showed that she. So what she does is she puts fake. She does fake nails, and then she puts electrical tape on her knuckles. And people were like, "What is on her hands?" And then she went into like explaining like how she gets that sound, how she's able to pick Damn. and not destroy her fingers at the same time. So she has to like completely wrapped the whole bottom digits of her fingers in electrical tape wow. to keep the the press on nails in place right because she's so otherwise violent. they'd be flying off yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I'm sure they're already breaking, too. Yeah. But, like, you know, the sound that it makes, she can pick with, like, every finger. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what. It might have been... It might have been the live version of Gravel from Living in Clip. That is, is one of the amazing first songs guitar. I ever heard. Whenever I play, like, and that's another song I play for people that have never heard Ani Franco is Gravel. Yeah. Just to hear her guitar playing and that's how violent it is. Yeah. And that version fast. was incredible. Yeah. I mean, any version of that song. Yeah. But, yeah. The Living in <laughs> Clip version is the one you're talking about? Yeah. 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 I, just, that was, I think that was the first Ani song I ever heard that somebody played for me. Yeah. It's just and the the lyrics, the lyrics in that song. She's so pissed off that she's like dating somebody that's fucking somebody else, and it's just so relatable. One of the things that I love about the way she plays is that she almost she has one of those styles that she'll play the riff once, and it almost feels like she messed something up, right? And then she'll play the riff a second time, and it sounds exactly the same. Right. Like, it sounds like she, she's, she makes the she's, same mistake yeah, on purpose. She's popping and snapping the same strings in the same way, and you're like, oh, that wasn't a mistake. No. This is exactly how she meant to play this. Yeah. So good. That song is ridiculous. Yeah. Mmm. Uh, I hope we get to go to concerts again soon. Right. For a little while, for a little while, my partner was working, and and I was get, I was getting free concert tickets to go to the Man, because she was working in their development department. So, do you like it there? No, I don't like the sound there. Very no, much. Yeah. but it was but it was it was and free it's also in the hood, you know, dude. concerts. But I I do before that I was not I was not going to to many concerts again. It was again it was the life of like being alive sound technician or a live audio like when the when the show is done i just wanted to i just wanted to chill out i just wanted to you know did not want to go see a show because i just mixed a show i don't want to go see a show now so it's it'll be nice to be able to go again fuck yeah and whoever the bassist is on this album too is crazy good the bass is ridiculous the mic placement. the perfect song yeah it's a it, she she is absolutely fantastic doing um her like breakup songs and stuff and she, uh, she her always, wordplay like yeah. nobody is better yeah she goes from i abhor you in the one course to i adore you in the next course and yeah. it's like it's so perfect the way she does it because it's like that's how you feel like when you when you're in a relationship like that and dysfunctional and you're young and like you don't know any better and it's like 
you hate the person just as much as you fucking love them. Right. And it's like, that's how she's so relatable. Yeah. You might, you might keep me from being happy, but you're never going to stop me from having fun. Like, she just, like, just, <laughs> just throws that out there. Or, like, the stuff from uh, Untouchable Face. Mm-hmm. God, I love that song. Yep. Fuck you forever. Like, it's just such the best song. Like, what is it? Like, I when I'm looking up, I seem to miss all the good stuff. When I, or when I look, when I look up, when I look down, I miss all the good stuff. And when I look up, I trip over things. Yeah. Like, I love that line. Uh, she has so many of those like that. Mm-hmm. Where, like, she's so clever with her words. Like, I, I don't know any other singer-songwriters that are that tight. Yeah, and I, you know, the funny thing is my my appreciation of lyrics kind of, it it goes back and forth, I think, again, because of, because of Nirvana. The, he, Kurt Cobain was very well known for saying, I don't, it doesn't matter what the lyrics are. Like, he would just sing oh, yeah. what came to his mind, and then he would make lyrics fit the melody that he just wrote. And then, you know, they, you know, the, the, the whole reason that he printed the lyrics in In Utero and not in the other albums is because people went on and on about Eddie Vedder's lyrics and how, like, poignant they were. And right. he was like, my lyrics are fine, too. My lyrics are good. But, like, for the longest time, I, I had that same sentiment of, like, the words don't matter. But I always find myself appreciating the way somebody can craft. You know, there's a band, um, local DC band called Jimmy's Chicken Shack. Oh, I know them. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, um, they, they had, a, like, one hit record, maybe two. Was it um, you that turned me on to them? Possibly. I think it was. Possibly. Holy shit, I haven't heard that in so long. Dude, I loved them it was good so shit. much. It was yeah. really good. And his lyrics, like, he's one of the people that inspired how I write lyrics. And he does that same kind of stuff where he's like, he'll say a phrase and then he'll say the same phrase but in a slightly different way. Or something that rhymes phonetically but not necessarily with the, you know. And, um... I had such a great appreciation for his lyrics. It, everything, everything with that band kind of went downhill fast after their after their fame. But um, but yeah, they were local boys, and we saw them on the second stage at HF Festival in like '92 or '93 when they were still a local band. I'm and, almost positive you introduced me to them. It could have been. And there's, I haven't heard them since. Yeah. They have a so they have a local record called Two for One Special, and then they had their their first like big studio record was called Pushing the Salmonella Envelope. Is that the one that you? I think so. To me? Yeah. Um, they have a couple good winners in the albums that follow, but this is like a solid, and the recording is great. Ugh. Yeah, I miss I miss those like mid '90s Jimmy's Chicken Shack days, because they were just young and hungry, you know, rocking like just putting their heart into every show they played. It's nice when you have like one of those bands where, yeah, where they're like local and they never really like get it big, but like they're your shit yeah and it's like 
they're your band. You know yeah. what I mean? And yep. it's like almost like you're glad that they didn't get really popular yep. because like this was that was like Jimmy's your little secret. Yep. I used to bring it everybody, everybody. I'd be like, oh, you like. I remember this, you dude. You like Clutch? Oh, you like this band? You should really hear Jimmy's Chicken Jack. I remember this shit. Yeah. Hi, that's the song I remember. Yep, this was their first really big single. Oh, dude, this song is great. Now it's all coming back. Yep. <laughs> Guy's got pretty good vocals. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He's got a his voice. It tips up to the higher range. Yep. I remember listening to this in the Wawa Full Box. <laughs> with my CD man before I bought an iPod. Yup. <laughs> Disc man on you your side. You gave me the, the CD, and I was like, who the fuck is this? Yeah, this was like Rocket Records or something. It wasn't even like a big record label. No but way. Whoever, whoever made this. Were they from like Maryland? Maryland? Yep. Yep. Yeah. They were from Annapolis. Baltimore? Okay. Yep. Napland. Um... Yeah, but just you know, really good, really great musicians, really cool, like, his songwriting style. Him and Rivers Cuomo from Weezer, yeah. their songwriting styles influenced me probably more than Kurt Cobain. Really? Even though anytime somebody hears my music, they say, oh, you must like Nirvana. Like, yes, but <laughs> so right. did Weezer and, you know, Jimmy's Chicken Shack. Um, but yeah, just I, just the way they played, because I, I would learn their songs just from sitting next to the stereo with my guitar in tune and just trying to figure out how to play it. Right. And it was never, you know, it was never so complicated. It wasn't like I was trying to teach myself, you know, Zeppelin or something. It was it was pretty simple. So yes, Jimmy's Chicken Shack was one of my favorite local bands, and that's actually one of the things that, you know, back in the 90s. That's one of the things still today where a lot of my listening time is spent. Um because I, because I, you know, play open mics a lot, and I find a lot of like, you know, local artists to to play with, um, or listen to. I'm I'm always seeking out um, new local bands too. Um, so we could we should do a whole. The best part about this little first episode that we've put together is I think that. I think it's given us stuff where like go back and listen to it and be like, we're gonna do a whole episode about this. Right. We're gonna do a whole episode about this. Right. We're gonna do so we should definitely talk about local bands sometimes because I have, you know, got a lot of friends in some pretty freaking awesome bands. So I had and, to like throw on my favorite speakers for this. Oh yes. What Alright. So we're hooking up. These are the are these the little ones that I've seen on Amazon that are only like 160 for the pair. Yeah, and then there's the, these the R41s. beasts. R forty ones and then R51s. these beasts. These are Klipsch. 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 These are the R fifty ones. They're my favorite all around speaker. Okay, they can go anywhere. Those are the ones that are like 350 though or something. No, right? these are um 225 for the pair. Okay. 225 to 240. Because like I, I saw these on there and they because they looked exactly the same. You can't really smaller tell from woofer. the picture. I was like. <gasps> Smaller woofer, smaller um, horn tweeter. They're just—they're like basically just like the baby version. 
of these. Okay. But but still good. They're still good. Okay. <laughs> but not your money is well spent buying pony up the extra for the money. 50 ones. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Especially if you're, you know, these are good for desktop like surround. They're good for a surround speakers mm-hmm. like in a 5.1 theater. Okay. Perfect for that. I was using them upstairs. I probably will flip them out. But uh these are like for tube amps. For home theater, you can put them in a 2.1, like a two-channel system. Desktop, like I, they're still my favorite speakers. No matter what, the, no matter where I okay. put them, they're awesome. Today's overall gear recommendation is the Klipsch R51A. R51A? M. M. All right, so the story was, it was like, uh, I had another buddy that was a lot like you, that we were roommates, and he was a supreme, he was a musician, he was a drummer. Uh, was in bands. I thought you meant handsome and well hung. That that too. But I okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I have similar taste in men. So <laughs> he, uh, but he was like me, where like we could watch all the same movies, all the same music, and like sit there for hours, getting stoned and like just ripping about everything, and like the right. conversations never got dull. Kind of like me and you when we talk about stuff. And he turned me on to some of my favorite bands: Death Cab for Cutie. Turn me on to um, who else? Uh, Frightened Rabbit. Um, and Ooh, these, I don't know them. Frightened Rabbit. Yeah. Earth, another Earth, yeah, another Earth Shatteringly <laughs> sad but like incredible Scottish band. Um, nice. These guys are Bag of Nickels. This was a local band from this area. This album is from 2000. So my buddy oh. was like, "This was when you know we were roommates, early, late 90s, early 2000s." before I got sober and he was like uh, check out these guys he was like I'm friends with I don't know if it was the lead singer or one of the guys in the band he was friends with and they used to perform at different other venues together because uh-huh. they were all just kind of up and coming but these guys were really really good my buddy's band was like you know just guys messing around but these guys were fucking good and he was like dude check out this album Montequilla and I used to play it in my Volvo all the time and I absolutely adored it right I got sober, forgot all about the album, lost the CD um, years later. So I I met a guy. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to like say this without outing anybody. But like I ended up running into a guy, uh, a mutual acquaintance, and we became friends. And we're talking about stuff. And like, so we, were, we met at the gym. Uh-huh. And we're lifting weights. The dude's a total gym head like me. And we're... You know, we like pushing each other and, you know, all that macho bullshit. And he's great, but he also, I found out he was really, he was a fucking gifted guitar. Like, he told me he played guitar. And, like, sure. like, so, like most musicians that are really good, they don't say anything. Like, he's just like, yeah, I, I play a little guitar. And, like, I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. And then, like, eventually, as our relationship gets, you know, progresses, we start to get to know each other. He like tells me that he was the fucking guitarist for Bag of Nickels. Oh shit! And I'm like, get the fuck out of here, dude! Like, there's no like, you played this was you. And he was like, yeah. And he gives me this CD the next time he sees me at the gym. He's like, oh, you he told me you don't have the CD anymore. He was like, here, I got tons of them. So he gives me the album, and I'm like, my buddy Rob is the guitarist from Bag of Nickels, one of my favorite little indie groups. From the early 2000s, they actually put out another album that's on Spotify, on Apple Music, called uh, Amen. But this album, is you can't get it anywhere. It was only like, they sold this out the back of their oh, car. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And let me just prepare you. Is that seriously 34 total minutes for yes. 10 tracks? 10 tracks. I love it already. Fast. Yeah. <laughs> I love it already. That's that's bold shit right there. Yeah. You can borrow that. I keep that in my car. That's how much I love that album. Dude, that's awesome. It's so late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. It sounds like Sublime mixed with, like, some 311 mixed with, like, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, oh. But this guy's voice is phenomenal. That's incredible. Yeah. So much range. That's incredible. And my buddy Rob crushes it on his lead guitar. I love the, the harmony in the chorus, too. This album and their their newer album is really good too. It's called Amen. Oh yeah, no, I gotta burn this. Take it, enjoy, dude. It's Are like you one, sure? It's one I don't of my favorite albums it. of all time. Just don't lose it. I won't. Because you can't find that anywhere. Nice. I was like, how did these guys not get famous? Like, every song on this album is ridiculous. <laughs> Production produced in Hocassin, Delaware. Yeah. Get out right of out my back. face. I play a little guitar. Yeah. You know? He's like, yeah, I play a little guitar. I'm like, dude, you crush it. <laughs> he's super humble about it too like he doesn't ever like he's like he's like oh he like picks apart every song like, he's like oh yeah I, hate, I can't listen to that shit anymore here he goes sweet solo Classic stop start of like the nineties. Yeah. That's the first song and it just smashes you over the head. No, I love it. And then like the entire album is an absolute banger. Oh, I love it. That's great. See, that's what oh. mm. Yeah, I love finding a, a good Oh, this is the other CD that was in my Local car. Band. The singles. Oh, singles. The single soundtrack. Man. Touch Me, I'm Dick. <laughs> Touch Me, I'm Dick. <laughs> Nowhere But You, Spoon Man, Flutter Girl. I think we talked about this, missing. too. 
Wood. Fucking ugh, dyslexic heart. Paul Westerberg. I hated that song. State of Love and Trust. State of Love and Trust. This is actually disc two. There was two of them that came. So when you buy the album, they give you the CD as well. That comes with it. When you buy the when you buy the vinyl. Oh, okay. Okay. The CD come this CD comes with it. So it's this is just all like extra stuff that they threw on a CD that comes in the package, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, I think we I think we talked about it before because I actually I had that soundtrack as well, and I still have never seen the movie. What? I've still never seen. It's literally in my singles. top ten movies of all oh, time. Oh God! Like it has Eddie Vedder like with lines in the movie. Really? Eddie Vedder, Jeff Ament, they all have lines in the movie. They play Chris Cornell. They play Matt Dillon's backing bands. Oh, uh, okay. Citizen Dick. Citizen Dick. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm going to have to watch it because I, I had that soundtrack for so long, again, just because of what was available on it. So mm-hmm. when, like, soundtracks were putting out, like, B-sides oh, the from bands. Oh, phenomenal. soundtrack was way more popular than the movie ever was. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was Be- also... Because of uh, Smashing Pumpkins. They're on that, Drown too. is on that soundtrack. Oh, yep. yep which yep. is, like, one of my favorite pumpkin songs of all time. Yep. That's... And Alice in Chains' Wood, which is what really put them on the map. But the Chris Cornell song "Seasons" is the best song on that album. Seasons go all by. The the guitar, yeah. that opening guitar. Dun, 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 that's, dun, a, dun. that's another band that does really awesome tunings. I have the I have the music book for Super Unknown because mm. there were a handful of songs in there that I want to learn mm. how to play. And every single song, when you turn it, is like a different tuning. And it's not mm. like you're gonna tune to drop D. You're gonna tune everything down a ha- a full step. It's like completely different right. tuning so that they can play. So like and talk about yeah. Chris Cornell and Soundgarden for a, for a whole podcast. Easily. Yeah. Like like Suicide is tuned like it's in drop D, except then there's like which is, you know, a way you can play the guitar, so it's a little more open and it's a little lower. Right. But then there's three of the other strings are also detuned so that he can do that because they're just like little half yeah. steps his, and then his, the whole the rest of the song, song is based on oh yeah his his vocals I, once i heard the acoustic version which i think was another soundtrack b-side that was sfw um so fucking what right was another movie soundtrack that right. had acoustic version of like suicide on it that, that which movie. is incredible and uh Oh yeah, I wish he would have done more acoustic stuff before he died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, an they acoustic... should have just done like a an unplugged like Soundgarden unplugged. Mm-hmm. Like, would have been ridiculous. There's an acoustic Black Hole Sun floating around out there. I can't even listen to that song anymore. Yeah, we saw them. Uh... Oh, Lollapalooza. No, was it Lollapalooza? Ninety six or ninety seven was uh Soundgarden was there and Metallica and Rancid, Rancid and the Ramones yeah were all there um Soundgarden played one of the great, like just a fantastic set of songs I don't even think yeah Super Unknown was their latest album that mm-hmm. had come out and the the band like left the stage for like the penultimate song and Rody brought out a stool and his acoustic guitar and plugged it in, and he sat on the stool and played Black Hole Sun acoustic, mm. just him and that. And that's probably one of the reasons why I could never get sick of it. It's because I always think about that version of the song <laughs> when I hear it. Right. 
and Super Unknown, man. Ugh, that album had so many good tracks on it, and it's one of the first Soundgarden albums where all the other members of the band also wrote stuff. So, like, Matt Cameron wrote lyrics and melody, the drummer, wrote lyrics and melody for some of the songs. The bass player wrote some of the songs. They're the weirder ones, but, you know. It's, uh, it's really, like, a crazy cool collection of what what the songwriting style is of all the members of Soundgarden which is pretty cool uh, just the opening of this song I love all of the non-hit songs on this album so much more than the out than the songs that were singles yep. that got released. Yeah, yeah. Except for um, "Fell on Black Days" will always be probably my go-to Soundgarden song. Yeah, yeah. But I love "Mailman." Yeah, "Mailman" has July. That, that crazy uh, low guitar. "Mailman," it's like drop C. Ugh, so good. Ah. Oh, it's so grimy. Yeah. Chris Cornell is the kind of artist that a hundred years ago, they easily would have burned him at the stake for being able to sing like that. They would have thought or he, he was been, possessed. Or he would have been a, a super famous opera singer. Right. Yeah. yeah. They'd have he, been has, like, he has operatic range. Yeah, like the guy could have done anything musically, but he chose to be in a grunge band. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he could have been, like he would have been fit in right in with like all the '80s hair metal. Yeah, like because his voice is definitely still along those oh, lines. Yeah. I mean, he would shred any of those guys in terms of power and range. There's gotta be there's gotta be a Holy Diver cover out there somewhere, right? Like Soundgarden had to have on a Holy Diver cover. Holy Diver? Yeah, Dio. Holy Diver! Oh, yeah. You've been down too long in the midnight sea. I would love to hear him do this. Right? Kind of that's, songs, like yeah. a, that's like a perfect yeah. perfect song in his range. Or like Chris Cornell covering like Poison or like Warrant. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Oh, Cherry Pie. Right. <laughs> yes. But he would still make it sound good. Yep. It would still sound fantastic. Oh, yeah. Or like White Snake. You could do like a White Snake song. Just crush <laughs> David Coverdale. Yep. That would be the definitive version. Or like uh, Led Zeppelin. Mm hmm. Uh, like Chris Cornell covering a Led Zeppelin song. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always super impressed when male vocals get up in that upper register and it's not falsetto i mean falsetto is impressive too for you to be able to like right. sing through your nose and hold that tone and keep it you know well, it's actually easier to sing falsetto yes. than it is baritone yeah, yeah absolutely on your voice box and but when somebody can wail like that yeah and it that just fucking, at that level someone else oh god this is takes this is, takes us down a whole nother reign of like male vocalists right there's a band called k sarah local to lancaster 
they have broken up. They broke up like two years ago. Right. But they have um, they have one of the most incredible vocalists in this band. They did a Thriller cover of Michael Jackson, and don't they don't he doesn't skimp on any of the like he hits all the notes. Right. But it's like screamo. You know, it's right. like it's like a they were they're I mean they're more like post punk than screamo, but it, it's definitely. In that, um, like Emery, you know, bands right. bands like Emery. Yeah, Kesara. I'm trying to remember what the album was called, but their one hit was Atlas. Um, they have a they have a song called Nine Story Solution, which is all about him contemplating suicide. Oh, nice. but it's like, but it's like the the energy in the song. Like Where, builds. Are they and, from the nineties? No, these were these were mid two thousands. Oh, okay. I think this I think um I thought we cornered the market on like suicide music in the nineties. <laughs> we did. We tried. <laughs> like everybody was just talking about death like the whole time and it was like and then sure enough, all of my favorite artists are dead. Like yeah. my parents used to bitch about like all they're like, We lost all of our great musicians to heroin and and drugs, and I was like, 90, the '90s was like, here, hold my beer, right? Yeah, because like literally <laughs> every one of my favorite artists from that era is dead, yeah, from either suicide or drugs or violence, like Biggie, mm-hmm. Tupac, Shannon Hoon, wow. Scott Weiland. I mean, the list just yep. goes on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, Eddie Eddie Vedder's still like he's like a national one of treasure. The last. We should wrap yeah. him in bubble wrap <laughs> and never let him leave the house. Yeah. Like Chris Cornell is gone now. Like that was the hardest one. Chris yep. Cornell. Like I cried that whole day. Like I was so upset. Probably I, I was probably more upset over Chris Cornell dying than I was when Kurt Cobain killed himself. Because yeah, Kurt Cobain was an unreal thing. I think Chris Chris Cornell was just like a shock out of left field. Right. I was like, but why? Right. Like yeah, that's it. It's called Nomad. That's the sorry the Kesara album. Got it. So I'll have to send you. Yeah, send me a link. I'll send you a link to it because when when you sit down, especially on this system, right? When you sit down and listen to the, not only is the guitar work and the drums outstanding, mm-hmm. you know these like the emo bands when they like when they turn it on and they just go crazy. There some of their musicians. I'll take are, your word for it. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. <laughs> okay, I'm not a big emo. Fan. Yeah, no, it's bright, it's bright eyes is about as far as I go. As sure, far as that is. and this is this is this is more like distorted, you know. Uh, it's it's like, more aggressive. Are they like Thursday? Kesara is uh was. You would like Thursday, and uh, I will definitely listen to them. They're screamo, definitely. I'm trying to think of the 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 album, the studio that they were from is a uh, um. Was it CR Records? What the hell was it? Now I can't even remember what it's called. It's bands like um, Ice Nine Kills. Did you ever hear Ice Nine Kills? No. It's another like local. It's it's aggressive. It's definitely metal, but it's got that like it's got that emo vocal feel to it. It's more melodic than screaming, but it is definitely like progressive metal, right? In music. So I'll send you a couple of links to it. You let me know if you see it. If, if anything. That tell me what you think of his voice because it's it's a powerful higher register voice. This is so random. Like, so after that song was over on Spotify, it, 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 present, it picked tense. present tense as the next song to play, like in a uh, random Scrabble. Nice. That's right. 
I wanted to play this for you on vinyl. This album is so good. Yeah. This was the song that like blew me away because I was not. I don't think I was. They play this on something. What did they? So when they had the Bulls documentary recently on ESPN, did you see that? No. So ESPN did a ten-part miniseries on the Bulls' run in the '90s. <laughs> so like, dude, I was all about Michael right. Jordan and the Bulls in the '90s. I don't know if you were like into basketball at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. I'm wearing, probably... I'm wearing my Jordans. Right. So like, because <laughs> I can't let yeah, go. Those are sweet. <laughs> so it was literally like the greatest documentary ever made. Like, <laughs> It's on That's Netflix awesome. now. The uncensored version is on Netflix. Okay. Check it out. It's a 10-part series. I could watch every one of them over and over again. It's like I get goosebumps just watching it. Like the Rodman episodes uh. are like ridiculous. But anyway, at the end of the fi- the final, the last episode, they play this song at huh. the very end because Rodman was a huge Pearl Jam fan. And so like you know he had a pick. Right. And they play this at the very end of the, as the credits were rolling up at the very end of the series. And I was like blown away. That's awesome. Yeah. This song fucking gets me. Yeah. What like more than the stuff in ten that that I had a huge connection to. Well, it was it was mastered way better. I mean, technically, this this album is so superior to the sound of ten. The way they mixed it and the way that his voice sounds, he's able to use different ranges. He just sounds so much. I don't think he's ever sounded better than he does on this album, vocal vocal wise. And a lot of people argue with me on that, but I think this is right in that middle sweet spot. Yeah. When you when you, I think one of the biggest parts is that there's minimal effects on it, and when right. you let his natural just voice let him just kind sing, of be there, dude. yeah. That's solid. Like his his ukulele stuff that he did, like was really good. Oh, well, we have about a minute left. Well, it's a good song to end on. It is. Yeah. It's a good. It's a good way to say goodbye. Yeah. Uh because this song fucking jams when uh, you don't expect it to. Yeah. Jeff Ahmed's bass is so tight, dude. Well, I can't wait for the next one. Yeah. Like, this is so awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think we've uh, caught a little lightning in a bottle. Yeah, we'll have to figure out what, what things we can talk about next time. Because I really just wanted to get into my experience being here today, and I knew it would lead us down several rabbit holes. Oh, we totally went down like 30 different so rabbit holes. But that's, <laughs> that's the essence of a good podcast. It is. Yeah. And good music appreciating was like, oh, you like this? Right. You just segue. Have you ever heard this? Segue. Let's segue. Do this. No, it's good, man. Thanks for having me over to um, Shay Lafferty's House of Audio. 